0: Good morning. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Mother's Day, we realize, is different for every person for different reasons. Some of us had the most amazing mother in the world, and the scripture says, and the children will rise up and call her blessed. And then to be perfectly honest, there are some moms who didn't do such a great job. And you might be the mom or the child or whatever your relationship might be in that. But so here's my admonition to you. If you as a mother feel like you didn't do such a great job in raising your children, then ask forgiveness of God and them. If you as a child feel like that you were neglected, then forgive. None of us are getting it all right just so you know there's no perfect mother no perfect dad all of us are in this process together learning and growing and so this morning i want to take a story from the old testament a biblical account and in that story and by the way that's my attempt at humor the story of a basket case that was moses remember that's about how much humor I got when I shared it with my family, too. <laughs> yeah, nice try. But there's something about that that is really important, and there's a lot of principles in this story. So here's, here's the way this is going to work. I'm going to share, as I share this story with you, different principles along the way and different biblical applications, but then we're going to come down and just hone it down at the end for some very specific stuff that we can have a takeaway today that I think can be beneficial for all of us if we're willing to do that. So let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for our joy in you as we've had the privilege of offering our worship and music to you today. And Lord, for every one of us, that our hearts are attuned to you. And, and today, Holy Spirit, you know every person in the room. You know exactly what you want to do in every heart, every life. And so we just surrender ourselves for your kingdom, Father God, of righteousness, peace, and joy, through the Holy Spirit, to be accomplished in us today. All right, most of you hopefully know that in the life of the Hebrew... Joseph was sold into slavery, and and see, think about this process that God is in, because sometimes we just, we don't think this out the way God works this out. So, God has one of his kids sold into slavery by that kid's brothers, and then he is taken as a slave to Egypt, and there, through the work and grace of God, he rises to be prime minister of Egypt. Now, that's a supernatural work, and that's God doing a work of grace of salvation that isn't so obvious at the beginning. So, under Joseph, the whole Hebrew tribe came down and was placed by Joseph in the prime land of Goshen there in Egypt, and during the life of Joseph, they continued to grow and expand and to uh, uh, reproduce and they had a bunch of folks and so after 60 years based on my understanding of Joseph's death there's a new pharaoh a new king who doesn't remember Joseph and he looks out at all the Hebrews and he says there's a whole bunch of them folks out there they're multiplying like rabbits down in the land of Goshen We better do something. Because if we don't, if our enemies attack us and they side with our enemies, we're going to lose. It's that simple. And so they started putting more work on the Hebrews to make it more difficult for their life. And guess what God did? He blessed them. And they continued, it says in the scripture, to have even more children. God's just not going to be stopped. Well, Again, Pharaoh, wanting to eliminate the threat, says to the midwives, when a child is born, if it's a male child, kill it. If it's a female child, let it live and we'll assimilate it into our culture. The midwives feared God More than Pharaoh. And so what they did was. (laughs) They would show up late. (laughs) For the birth. Pharaoh caught on. And then he gives a general edict. To all the Hebrews. If you have a child. And it's a male. Kill it. Female, let them live. Now, we live today in a land where killing children is acceptable. My understanding is 62 million since 1973. In case anybody ever questions where I am on this, I'm totally against it. If you ever question, I'm totally against it. Do I think there are special circumstances that sometimes need to be considered? Let's go down that road, but... The God who gives life and the giver of life. The song that we just sang that where he says he puts his breath. He puts his breath in us. Let's don't kill it. So that's the first thing. So now the Hebrew are under this mandate to kill all their male children to stop the growth of that nation can you imagine we have some expecting mothers in the congregation now you understand they didn't know gender back then before they were born can you imagine being a mother expecting a child knowing that if when that child is born if it's a boy is supposed to be killed. I, I can't imagine what that would be like for a mom. And in that group of Hebrews, there's a family of Levites. And the wife becomes expectant. And she has her child. And the child... is a boy. Now, what do you do? Wouldn't you love to be faced with that? Wouldn't you love to be, live in a nation where knowing if you had a boy, a little boy, and we have a lot of little boys around, in case you didn't know, we got a bunch of them. Hallelujah. That that child was sentenced to death At his birth. The scripture says. That the mother. When she looked at this baby boy. She had just had. She saw there was something special about him. That's in Exodus chapter 2. In Hebrews 11. It says both the parents saw. That he was a beautiful child. And so here they are. With a little boy. Who has a warrant of death on his life. And they won't do it. They won't kill their baby boy. Praise God for parents who don't kill their baby boys or girls. You can hide a baby for a little bit. In fact, it says they hid him for three months. But after three months, he's getting a little more rambunctious and a little noisier. Something's got to be done. So they come up with a strategy And the strategy is that mom will build a basket-like boat and make it waterproof. Some translations calls it an ark. And she puts the baby in the little basket and puts it in the... Come on. The Nile River. There are snakes crocodiles, predators of all kind. And she takes her little baby boy. She puts him in a basket and she puts him in this river. Think about that. Just think about that. So I've got a volunteer. Where did she go? There you are. She wandered off on me. She's trying to hide that baby again. For those who do not know, this is Krista Jordan, and this is... Jace Jordan. Jace Jordan, and he is how old? Five months. Five months. So he's a couple of months older than Moses at the time of being placed in the river, in the basket. You guys got that? All right. So... (laughs) I didn't tell her exactly what I was going to do. I wanted a surprise, look on her face. So now... (laughs) Okay, somebody got to tell me how you can do that, okay? How you can take the life of a child when you got this, okay? I can't even imagine, buddy. Uh... (laughs) I'll tell you what, he's playing his part way better than I'm doing mine, I got to tell you. All right, so we don't have the Nile... But we do have a Mm katawa. Go for it. What are you gonna do? Just keep him. I'm not putting him in there. (laughs) What do you got to say about it? (laughs) (laughs) That's the answer, isn't it? I mean, that's the answer. I'm not gonna do that. This is my child. I'm his mother. Again, thank God. We're not in that position. (laughs) Listen, I'm going to leave you here. I'm going to go. You got it, brother. (laughs) We're not in that position that this mom and this child is not in that position. And we're not talking about the Catawba. We're not talking about the Nile. Think about that just for a moment. (laughs) But you're getting a much better response than I ever do. So we'll just keep you around. Thank Thank you. Isn't that amazing? Now we have some goodness gracious. Can you get that now? Can you kind of see, hopefully, a little better what that would have been like to know that that's your child in that place? But when that mother, and as it says in Hebrews, when those parents looked at that child. As Tyler and Kristen looked at theirs and everybody else at, looks at theirs, there's something special about this child. We don't know what it is, but there's something here. And so they went through all the effort they did to protect the life of the child. And the story continues that to give some oversight, as it were, the, the uh, sister of Moses, Miriam, was hiding at a distance, kind of keeping an eye on the baby in the ark. And guess who comes down to the river to bathe or to sightsee or whatever reason Pharaoh's daughter the same man who issued the death warrant for all the children all the male children and she's coming along with her maidens and she sees the basket and she sends her maidens to get the basket and they do And they bring it back, and she opens it, and it says in Exodus 2, she saw the child, a baby crying. Her heart went out to him, and she said, it must be one of the Hebrew babies. So the sister the sister goes to Pharaoh's daughter and offers a proposal of finding a wet nurse for this baby boy from the Hebrew woman. Well, let's back up just a tad. Why Why would the daughter of Pharaoh, it's not like she's ignorant of what's happening in their land. Why would she take from the river a Hebrew baby. Later on, it says that she named him Moses, which means drawn from the water. Here's something you may or may not know. All the Egyptians believed that all of their gods, and they had many, originated from the nile so pharaoh's daughter now again you got to see god behind this even with all the junk in the middle pharaoh's daughter thinks that she is potentially rescuing a god from the river nile and that because of her adoption of him he stands the potential of being the next pharaoh of Egypt. The mother comes. Pharaoh's daughter says, "I will hire you to take care of this child until he is weaned." Now, most of us think of weaned as coming off the breast and that of course is true, but you have to understand Hebrew culture and I've studied and researched, and maybe you can find something better than I did. I went through Josephus, the early historian and all sorts of stuff. But it appears, based on Hebrew custom, weaning would have been at about age five. That's when they would have been released to begin to do academics, etc, studies. So potentially, Moses' mother had him from birth till age five. Now think about that for a moment. What that mother did in those five years of life, I would have to say is remarkable and incredible and maybe even supernatural. We'll get to the why of that in a moment. But think about those early formative years of our children and our grandchildren and some of you great-grandchildren. Think about all those lives and how much we are able, if God, if we, if we do this in relationship with God and the work of the Holy Spirit, how much we can truly invest into that precious life. Now think about that. At five, we're going to use the number five, age five, he's taken from his mother And placed in the care of Pharaoh's daughter. And the scripture says. And she adopted him as her son. Now. Fast forward. 35 years. 35 years later. Moses goes. Ding. I want to visit my brethren. My Hebrew brethren. He leaves the palace. He goes to the land of Goshen. And when he gets there, he sees an Egyptian beating on a Hebrew slave. He looks both ways. Ain't nobody around. He goes over and kills the Egyptian. Now, think about that. 35 years. What was happening in those 35 years? Well, to get to the answer to that, you have to go to the book of Acts, chapter 7. Beginning in verse 22, it says, And Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power in words and deeds. So he was trained from age 5 to age 40 as an Egyptian. That would be mathematics, philosophy, militarily, and religiously because remember the pharaoh himself thought he was a god so here he is 35 years 35 years of being trained not just by pagans but by anti-god people It says in Acts 7, But when he was approaching the age of 40, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. And that's where he saw the mistreatment. And that's where he took the life of the Egyptian. And he thought everybody would understand, especially the Hebrews. The next day, however, he goes back to visit again. And this time as a Hebrew beating a Hebrew. And he goes to stop it. And the one who says, Are you going, the one who is committing the crime, are you going to kill me like you did the Egyptian yesterday? 35 years of training. And yet there's something in him that mother has put in him in those first five years that causes him to know that somehow, somehow, some way he is to save his people. He goes about it the wrong way. I love the guy years ago who was preaching on this and he said, you know, when, when Moses looked both ways, there's nobody around. He kills the Egyptian and he buries him in the sand. He forgot about the wind. And the wind just blew the sand away and all of a sudden there's toes sticking up. And the body's discovered. However it happened, it was discovered. But again, 35 years of pagan teaching And what mom put in finds its way out. It comes out initially in a very inappropriate way, but it still comes out. I'm going to step into something right now. You guys know I do this from time to time. How many times have we trained our children in the things and ways of God and the word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit? and we send them off to a secular university and they come back and they don't know God I couldn't tell you how many times I've seen that happen it breaks my heart I understand we want our kids to be educated I understand we want them to do well but I can promise you this a child who's raised to honor God in every way Can make a huge difference in our world. And it does happen. And thank God it happens. And remember this, even when there are those who are pouring into your child, those anti-God teachings, what you have put in there is still there. And your prayer is, and we'll get to that at the very end of the message today, your prayer is that God will bring that to the surface at the time that honors and glorifies him. Someone sent me an email this week. I hope I can recite it well. A little boy was in class. This was not college, but actually in middle school. And he'd written a paper. And in his paper, he talked about God. Well, it just so happened that his teacher didn't believe in God. And so she decided that she was going to embarrass this little boy about his belief in God. And so she takes him through exercise and she says, Johnny, it's always Johnny. You ever notice that poor little kids? You know, it's always the poor kids, Johnny. Don't name your kids, Johnny, name them something else. you know? Moses work. Okay. When our son Jordan was born, we had not picked out a name right at his birth. And some of the ladies in the church, you know, they get concerned about those things. And so they, uh, they asked me what we were going to name him. I said, well, his grandfather was Rufus Alonzo. That's a possibility, but I'm preaching through Philippians, and there's Epaphroditus, so we just haven't decided yet. <laughs> anyway, Johnny is placed in a place to be embarrassed by the teacher, and she would ask him to look at something physical and tell her what it was. Look out the window. Do you see the trees? I do. And then she says, go outside and look up and then come back. And he goes outside, looks up, comes back. Teacher says, when you looked up, did you see the sky? Johnny said, I saw the sky. She said, did you see God? He said, no, I did not. She said, then that proves there is no God. And Johnny in humiliation went back to his seat. But you know, God has a way. And so there's a little girl in the class named Emily. And Emily says, Well, Johnny, look out the window. Do you see the tree? I do. And she goes through the exact same thing the teacher did. And he is so, by now, he is just so humiliated. And then she says, Look at our teacher, Mrs. Jones. Do you see Mrs. Jones? I do. Do you see her brain? I do not. Emily says, hmm, I guess based on the teacher's method of deduction, she has no brain. <laughs> we have the privilege, the honor, and the responsibility of pouring into our children and our grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And as Frankie said at the very beginning, many of those that we pour into are not our biological children. They are children that God has placed us in some realm as an aunt or uncle or uh, some spiritual disciple or mentor whatever. We have that incredible joy. And here's the truth we're going to come to right now that I want you to hang on to. Um, Let me get to Proverbs 22 By the way, if you're still in the process with your kids at home raising them for the glory of God through the work and help of the Holy Spirit, I would really really strongly advise you to spend a lot of time in Proverbs. Because it is the book of wisdom and it really gives you a lot of help. So here's what Proverbs 22 6 says Train up a child in the way they should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, that is a promise from the Word of God. And you might be saying, but that's not what I'm seeing. My kids have rebelled. They've gone astray. For those who still have children at home, please, please pour into them in the direction and the power and the help with the help of the Holy Spirit. For those that you have poured into and they have gone their way and they've gone astray, you take this promise and you take it to the altar of God and you stay there with this promise on God's altar for God to bring your child back to Him no matter how far they may have gone. That's the word of God. That's how this works. That's how God works. That's how God moves and works in our lives to accomplish his will and purpose. Does that mean every family is perfect? No, it does not. Does that mean that all these things are going to be so absolutely great? It does not. But let's go back to Moses just for a little bit. 35 years in Pharaoh's house. And the light comes on. They're my brethren. Let me help set them free. And he mucks it up. And he is now so afraid for his life that he runs away and hides on the backside of the desert. And other than tending sheep, we're not told what happens in Moses in those 40 years, another 40 years. So now he's 80. 80. Some of you might consider that to be an old guy. He's 80 years old. And as he's tending sheep, one day he sees this phenomenon. There is a bush that is on fire and is burning, but it is not being consumed. And the scripture says, and the angel of God spoke to him from the burning bush. And in that conversation... He receives the instruction for which his life was created, and his purpose is to be. Can I just say something in kindness? Don't wait 80 years. Let's start a little sooner, okay? God... What is your purpose? And and these precious children we get, remember, it isn't for you to make them into many you's, you know, many me's. So they'll be like you. You know, if dad was in sports and mom was in the arts or or it may have been the other way around, whatever the case may be, every child that God places in our care, God has put in that child some unique, wonderful, amazing (laughs) character qualities and creativeness And our job as parents and grandparents and great-grandparents is to help that child unpack what God put in there to begin with. Moses' mom looks at her baby boy. He's special. We should look at every one of our children because they are special. And how God will use them. Will they become a great deliverer? I don't know. But whatever it is that God gives them to do, let's make sure we're doing our part to help them to do it. So what is it we do? As I've said at the beginning, no family is perfect. Neither is any parent. If you have done poorly with your children, ask his forgiveness and theirs and do everything you can from here on out. If you think your parent has failed you, forgive them and build that relationship. Life is too short to let those things that are not of God continue to be. So we're the ones who can stop it. And if, and if your child or grandchild has gone astray, take this scripture in Proverbs twenty-two, six, on the altar of God, and stay there. And if you have not adopted the practice of praying for your children every day, even as adults please make that a part of your time of intercession when you spend time with God. It is imperative that we do exactly what God has for us. And one of the things that we can do for our children is pray for them. We told our kids when they were growing up that they could mess up and we knew that they could and they did at times. But the one thing they would always have to do is climb over the prayers of Sheila and I because we were praying for them consistently. And Sometimes I have to confess more urgently than others. But now we look at our adult children who are pouring the Christ values into their children and we're looking forward to the day when our grandchildren will pour those Christ values all again by the work of the Holy Spirit into their children And the legacy continues for the glory of God. If there's something wrong in any of your relationships, take today as a day to do everything you can to make it right. And please do not be the mother that I encountered years ago. I only encountered her after her death. I was asked to do a funeral. The daughter... And I were having a conversation on the phone and she asked me, she said, would you, she said, would you, would you know how, or would you be willing to do a funeral message on forgiveness? I said, of course I'd be happy to, but my question is why would you want me to? And she said, because my mother has offended everybody that she ever knew and I would not want anyone to leave the graveside carrying unforgiveness for my mother. It was uh, before COVID, so we actually had people there at the funeral. And I did the message, and I explained the daughter's request. I said, so if you're here, and this woman that we're burying today has hurt you in any way, and you're willing to forgive her, would you please stand up? And everybody there stood up. And I led them through a prayer of forgiveness. Because that daughter in her wisdom in Christ. Knew that none of those people should carry that with them. From that cemetery. Now that's extreme. And I get it. But anything. That you can take care of and make right before God. Please do that. Let this be the day that you do that. And again. We know Mother's Day is a mixed bag. But guess what? Our God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And his will for our lives and for family have never changed from the writing of his word. And he still values life, every life. And we're the ones who can make the difference in how those lives are lived. So if you will stand with me, I'm going to bless everyone, but particularly the mothers. Father God, we come now. And we're just absolutely grateful that your word speaks to us and ministers to our heart, to our spirit, to our mind. And prayerfully, there is a change, a transforming of us so that we are in the Holy Spirit more like you every day, Lord Christ. And I thank you for the moms and the grandmoms. I thank you for the the ones that have ministered to kids that weren't their own biological kids, but they just poured into them because of the love of Christ in them. So, Lord, throughout this congregation, let there be such a love that you, Holy Spirit, have put in us, that is spread abroad, and not just here for us, but wherever we go. And I just want to bless each mother. The greatest gift of all that you've given to any person is your presence. So bless them now with your presence in Christ's name. Amen.